thank you for coming here today. It's me, Linda Sage, on Learning From Life. One thing I can promise you, there'll be people to meet over the airways here you'll never forget. Some, as long as you live. Let's just say, most have had what could be termed as an interesting life. It's not what happens, it's how you deal with it. And one line from any of them could change the way you deal with things forever. They'll be landing from all parts of the planet, all ages, backgrounds and experiences. Telling the truth of how it was and how they manage things may just help you miss a rock or two along your road too. Hi and very warm welcome to this week's podcast. Of course we are learning from life. I've had some amazing previous guests and this week is no different. I have a wonderful gentleman who gets your voice heard and this is Steve Bustin. He is a business communication expert and he helps organisations and business leaders to get their voice heard by the people who matter, amongst many other things. So, hi Steve, thank you for joining us. Hi Linda, it's lovely to be here. So, I know you have many, many, many hats, so uh, should we start just a bit about you as a person before we get to you as a professional? <laughs> um, crikey, where do I start? Um, I'm, uh, I, I live in Brighton um, with my husband John and our dog Belle. Um, I've been uh, self-employed for ooh, pushing 20 years now, um, but originally started my career as a journalist for BBC News, um, working across radio and TV news. And uh, outside work, I'm a big fan of the theatre, although I'm missing it dreadfully at the moment because obviously there's nothing happening. Yeah. And um, I'm also a keen gardener, so I'm, uh, I have uh, a reasonable-sized garden here in Brighton which we have opened to the public in the past, although not for a few years, because quite frankly, it's too much like hard work. So, um, but it's just been, it's been, a, it's, it's a lovely space just to be able to, to pot around in and, and it's my sort of creative output and also my, my happy place. Wow, that, that's quite amazing. That's, that must be some garden to open it to the public. Uh, yeah, it, it was. I mean, it's actually, you know, I mean, it's still lovely, but yeah, opening it to the public does require it to, at a certain level, should we say. And that is hard work to maintain. So, um, no, we haven't done that for a few years now. So, so what's it like having public tramping around in your gardens? <laughs> Weird. Um, it has to be said. I mean, you know, I always say, why on earth would you open your little slice of horticultural heaven to the, to the, to the masses? Um, it's, it's odd. I mean, it's quite gratifying in terms of having people, you know, saying, hopefully saying how much they like the garden and they ask questions. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's lovely to be able to share it. It did mean that I found I was gardening to a deadline and I was gardening for the public rather than for my own pleasure. So it took a lot of the pleasure out of gardening. Um, so I'm, yeah, in that respect, I don't miss that side of it. Uh, but I do, yeah, it was fun. We had people who used to come every year when we opened. People travelled from quite a distance, which is quite fun. But they all asked all the same questions. You know, there were about three questions that you just answer over and over and over again all day. So, um, yeah, it's 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 fun. But we, we used to do teas and cakes and all that sort of stuff. So we'd make several thousand pounds a day for, for charity. Wow, that's amazing. So so uh, going from being a, uh, with the BBC and going into mm. your garden, there's quite a big change in all of the sort of things you've done. So uh, how have you progressed through those? So I left the BBC in 2000 after seven years, um, largely because somebody, basically somebody headhunted me. Um, somebody asked if I would become PR director for a new dot com that they were starting. 
which was called Queer Company, and it was a lesbian and gay sort of lifestyle portal. Um, and I went, I, I went and did it. I realised at the BBC that I wasn't obsessive enough about news to really progress um, as far as I might want to. So I was looking for a new challenge. This came up. Um, the company had just had three and a half million pounds of venture capital. We spent that in eighteen months and probably went bust. Um, <laughs> and I say we, this was sort of this was two thousand. So this absolutely was the dot com bubble, and then we were part of the bubble that burst. Uh, it was great fun. I learned a lot. I'm very glad it wasn't my money. Uh, but actually, I learned a lot about business because, particularly in the last few months, I think I I could see it coming. I could see we weren't making money. Um, and watching a business go out of business was horrible to live through, but I learned a lot. Um, and it was then that I went, well, I went freelance initially, just while I was job hunting, until it was actually, it was a recruitment agency said to me, um, we don't know how to place you. They said, you've come up to quite a senior level in journalism, and then crossed into a senior level in PR, but PR agencies don't see you as being an agency um, worker, and and other people don't see you as in-house so we don't quite know what to do with you and that was sort of what I needed to hear in a way because I was quite enjoying the freelance work and I was enjoying having multiple different clients and, and um, so I thought actually I can make a go of this and I've been self-employed ever since. Um, ran a PR agency for 11 years at one point I had a couple of members of staff then I had a client who stopped paying and uh, obviously I had to carry on paying those members of the staff mm-hmm. and it all just got very out of hand. I ended up tens of thousands of pounds out of pocket. Uh, so actually when all that was resolved, I let the staff go and have been a one-man band ever since. And then about, well, I suppose actually quite early in the PR business, people started asking me to go in and, and train them. So I got a lot of people saying, oh, you know, would you come in? train us on particularly social media I was quite an early adopter in social media and and then people said oh would you come in and train us on um, social media and then media interviews and then would you come in and train us on presenting and then somebody said would you come and speak at our conference so I went and spoke at the conference and then somebody else saw me there and said oh would you come and do that session at our conference and it just built from there and it got to a point where I was actually spending more time training and coaching than I was really doing the PR which became problematic um, I'd be in a training room all day and I'd have PR clients uh, leaving messages on my phone going, where are you? You know, we need a press release by lunchtime and I'd be stuck in a training room all day. Yeah. So that's when I made a very conscious decision to move out of PR. I, I actually fired my last PR client. Uh, and then, yeah, I've been working predominantly as a speaker, compare and coach ever since. So it, it came about organically, really. So uh, rather than sort of planning a career. Yeah, it did. I suppose it's one of those things where I was starting to do it. I, I was, as I say, I was being asked to speak at conferences. People asked me to compare. And then people were saying, oh, you're good at that. Can you teach me how to do it? So it was never a conscious decision to become a speaker and speaker coach. But I was playing to my strengths. Um, you know, people seemed to like what I was doing. People wanted me to teach them how to do it. So sometimes I think you just have to listen to the to the marketplace and, and follow you know, what makes sense. And I, and I was getting, I was getting, I suppose, a bit bored with the PR. I've always said PR is, is telling the world about the interesting and exciting things that other people are doing. Um, so I just thought, yeah, time to move out. And I've always enjoyed training and coaching people. And I love speaking. So, yeah, it was just the obvious thing to do. So do you still remember your first paycheck for a, sp- a speaking event? Oh, good question. Um... I do, yeah. Well, I spoke certainly in terms of 
my first sort of proper conference speaking event mm-hmm. um, was a conference at XL in London, and it was for it was called Future Resource. It doesn't happen anymore, um, and it was a conference for the waste management and recycling sector, which people always think sort of sounds funny, doesn't sound terribly uh, glamorous, but actually was a fascinating event, um, and it's a big money industry. I've done quite a lot of work in that industry now. And yeah, it was great. I spoke on a stand on the conference floor for, I think I, think I did a 45-minute session on social media. And this was at a point where, particularly in that industry, social media was still a, a, a mystery to most people. They couldn't really understand what it would do or why on earth they should use it. They'd just been told that they should be using it. So I was, yeah, I spoke on the stand. There were lots of questions. Lots of people stopped and listened. Um, as I said, that immediately led on to another gig somebody saw me on that said oh could you come to our convention and and speak there um so yeah I do remember that first gig and that was my first I suppose what I think of as my first professional speaking gig you know an invite to speak uh on the program and all that sort of stuff but I mean I've been speaking really since I was a child um (laughs) I was I was that kid in assembly who always wanted to stand up and and speak and say things and do things and perform and um, and then when I was 11, I was asked to chair um, our burn supper at school. I live, I went to school in, in Scotland. We lived in Scotland when I was a mm-hmm. kid. And I was asked to chair our burn supper in front of the whole school and all the parents um, and the town dignitaries. And as an English boy, that was quite a, a coup. Wow. But it was fun because, uh, yeah, I, I got laughs and I liked that feeling and I enjoyed that sense of being in control that being compare gives you. Um, so, yeah, that was probably my first non-paying proper speaking gig but uh was one of the things that made me realize that actually this is something i enjoyed and so from a very early age you sort of had the seed planted of uh, good ideas yeah i suppose i i had quite a good idea quite early on that i was good at this and that i enjoyed it and i've always thought that was a good combination i think if you can find something that you enjoy and you're good at um, then if you can make money out of it, then even better. And I think, you know, the two go hand in hand. If you are good at something, you tend to enjoy it and vice versa. Um, although, well, I suppose it is possible to, to, to love doing something even though you're not very good at it. Um, but if you are good, you tend to get more pleasure out of it. And, you know, I, I played to my strengths. People, I say people liked what I did. They seemed to recognise it. And it was peaky when people said, oh, could you come and teach us how to do that? That actually I realised I was doing something right. Because that was quite a, a vote of confidence, should we say that people said, oh, actually, yeah, we want you to come and teach us. So yeah, because your your company is about getting your voice heard, not you as you, but mm. people's voice. So you're already communicating that to them about being listened to. Yeah, completely. I mean, I've, communications has always been a, a, a passion of mine. Um, I started a family newspaper when I was about six. Um, and I've always been interested in, in media and comms and the way we put up messages across. So, yeah, and I, I, it was funny, it was a, a speaker colleague of mine who said to me, he said, what you do is you get you help people to get their voice heard. And I thought, actually, you're, that's absolutely right. So I do enjoy helping people to get their voice heard, which can be physically, I mean, in terms of how they stand on a stage or how they give a media interview or any of those sorts of things. But it's also about understanding what it is you want to say, who it is you want to say it to, how you're going to say it, and actually thinking strategically about the messages you want to get across and the impact you want to have with them. And it's something that a lot of us don't stop and think about very often. We know what end result we want, but we don't necessarily think about how we're going to put the message across and the most appropriate way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's it just sums up what I do. So it's a, it's a business name I've always loved. 
So your, obviously your business was growing and in January 2020, you had quite a few plans in place mm -hmm. and then everything changed. Yeah, I mean, I've, the last couple of years have been my best years in business ever. Um, this year was shaping up well, beginning of this year. Um, and then obviously when lockdown happened in, in mid-March, I lost tens of thousands of pounds worth of work in about three days. It all, literally all my bookings for this year just waltzed out my diary. Um, and it was a bit of a shock to the system. Thankfully, I did have some reserves in the business, so I wasn't, um, you know, wasn't sort of on the poverty line straight away. And I, yeah, it took it took a while. I didn't I didn't do this inevitable pivot that everybody kept talking about about how you should you know, immediately change your business. I took a step back for a while, just watched to see what was happening, um, looked to see what was working, and I actually started listening to the marketplace. What was the marketplace looking for? What was interesting is that communication has suddenly become a really hot topic because the way we communicate has changed so dramatically. The messages we, we have to deliver have changed dramatically. What people want to hear, what people will respond to has changed dramatically. So I have been, I'm now doing a lot of communications with a lot of work, I should say, with organisations about communicating internally because suddenly the way they have to communicate with their staff, with their teams has changed because those teams are now working at home. So I've yeah I've I have now changed an element of some elements of what I do, but I'm still coaching people on how to communicate. It's just that communication on the whole is going to be on camera or on microphone rather than in person. But the underlying principles are exactly the same. So that um, you said that it was quite a shock. So hmm. the underlying emotions there and the and the mindset. Yeah, hmm. what came to to mind there? I think the first thing was just knowing that things were going to be okay. I, you know, I, I, I'm not a panicker. Um, I don't, I didn't go into panic mode in the way I think some people did. Uh, and I didn't immediately have to start just thinking, right, I need to change. I need to change. Things have to change right now. And I know some people like within two weeks of lockdown were completely redesigning their business models and good on them. If that works for them, brilliant. I wanted to sit and just look and understand what the market was looking for a bit more. Um, you know, I didn't want to just throw huge amounts of time and money at designing something completely new if there wasn't a market for it. But emotionally, I think it was. I did get, you know, I did struggle. I think like so many of us, the first few weeks were tough. Just trying to work out what normal looked like, trying to work out um, what the future's going to look like and trying to find an, and establish a new routine. And once I'd done that, then actually I was much more relaxed and and and... I suppose I was lucky because I had some reserves in the business because I'd had a good couple of years. I knew that financially I was fine and that gave me the luxury of time and a little bit of um, consideration, should we say, rather than having to jump straight into things. So what would you say that the lessons that you'd learn out of this one? Because obviously your business wouldn't have been doing what it's doing now if all of this hadn't happened. Mm. Lessons I've learned. Um, I think one of them is 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 to not panic i think also to start um to start i was going to say sifting all the information there was an enormous amount of information and advice and discussion and hearsay and gossip and rumor all came out in a very short period of time suddenly there were you know i could have spent the entire day uh, on every day of every, of of of, a, of weeks just on webinars listening to different people's advice and take on what should happen now, a lot of people talk about what they were doing and what was working for them. And I think one of the lessons I learned is that what works for them doesn't necessarily work for me. 
And it's so easy to just try and listen to and act on every single piece of advice you hear. And you have to start passing it. You have to start sifting it and starting to understand which bits are relevant and which bits aren't. And it might be that something is something yet you think that's a great idea, but not now, not yet. And you park it for a while. And there are a few things that were said to me in the first couple of weeks of lockdown that actually I'm only now really starting to do because at the time they weren't right. Now I'm in a position to put them into practice and now they are appropriate for my business. So yeah, I think one of the big lessons is not to panic. I think one of the other lessons is to look for the small pleasures. Um, my garden gave me huge pleasure, particularly in the first few days, of, first few weeks of lockdown. Um, there was quite a lot to be done in the garden, which gave me a focus, um, gave me something to go out and, go out and do. And, and thankfully, the weather, uh, even in, in late March and into April, was actually pretty decent. So I was able to get outside. Um, and I think it's important to find pleasure in little things, to find routines um, that give you some structure. And I think you have to just start um, finding, and I hate the phrase new normal, but that is sort of what we all had to find. We had to find something that was a new normal for us. And again, lots of people saying you should be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh -uh. If that what, what's works for you, fine, but find your own way. Good advice. And uh, obviously you do other things as well. You have other hats. Uh, you're involved with the Professional Speakers uh, Association. And uh, how, did you, how did that come about? So, yeah, I'm currently the national president of the PSA, the Professional Speaking Association, um, which is sort of the trade body for, um, for those of us who speak for a living. And that includes keynoters, um, trainers, coaches, uh, people who deliver on stage, people who deliver entirely online, all those sorts of things. It came about, um, crikey, 2013 I joined, uh, and I had been working with a business coach, and it was the business coach who really helped me to get out of the PR world and, and concentrate on the speaking and, and training and coaching. And she had been aware of it. I'd been aware of the association, and she said, you should try it. Just, you know, you never know what you might learn. So I went along to a meeting in London. Um, by complete coincidence, the meeting I went to happened to be about media training, which is one of the things I do. So I sort of felt I was on familiar territory right from the go, and it is a cliche, but I did walk in and think, ah, this is my tribe. These are people who understand who I am and what I do. And I suddenly realised that actually what I did for a living wasn't just me showing off. It was actually a career. So, yeah, I fitted. I felt I fit in quite quickly. The second meeting I went to, I took part in their annual competition called Speaker Factor, which is um, a competition for new and emerging speakers. And I won that in London. So I then had to go to the National Convention to represent london region and didn't win the national finals unfortunately but suddenly met lots of people they saw me on stage they could see what i did and actually that was just a great way of embedding myself in the association so now i you know it's it's a it's a great support it's an amazing business network but for me it's also um a place of great friendship and you know i've met some amazing people through that and, and i've ended up i get work through it i mean that's the other thing it, it pays dividends and then some so you know, I get work through it, I get referrals. Uh, yeah, so it's been a good thing. It's been a very, very positive thing for my, my business. Sounds good. So, Steve, what's uh, in the future for you? You've done an awful lot, but obviously you still must have plans and goals laying ahead. Hmm. Um, yes and no. I'm not a huge one. I don't have some great life plan. Um, I'm not sort of hugely driven by uh any particular sort of legacy or or anything like that so i don't i'm not one of these people who has my life and my career planned out i'm 
I've always been somebody who just like I like to take opportunities. I like to have flexibility and I like to be able to to say yes to things when they come along and to see where they go. Um, I think the opportunities lie in in saying yes to things. So, I mean, in the sort of short term, I I will be staying as PSA president actually until April next year, um, just because of the nature of what's happened this year. My presidency is being extended a little bit. Um, and, you know, my business is, you know, is doing OK at the moment. I'm looking to build on what I've done thus far since lockdown and the way I have had to, to, to repackage what I do. Um, and then beyond that, who knows? Um, yeah. You know, I'm just I'm we'd. On a personal level, we're, I mean, we're about to have an extension built in our house, which I think is going to be quite a massive project, quite disruptive, but I think quite exciting as well. Um, beyond that, I don't really have anything in the planned. I'm, I'm just saying I'm not a great one for for huge, great long three, five, ten year plans, uh, personally mm-hmm. or in business. Um, you know, I I, I enjoy um, the flexibility and I enjoy being able to to respond to what's happening. So if you could go and speak to that young lad that was in Scotland hosting that Burns night with all mm. the knowledge you have now, what advice would you give him? Oh, good question. Um, I think I would actually say to him, have confidence in what you're doing. You're good at this. You know you're good at this. Have confidence in that and, and not exploit it, but use it, harness it. Um, I think for a long time I was a very fr- I was a frustrated performer, and I think I would probably encourage um, my eleven year old self to explore that more and to go with it and to uh, to enjoy it, um, but also not just not to listen to what other people say. As I said earlier, I think you know you you can listen to people's advice, you can listen to what other people are up to, but then find your own way. Um, and I did that sometimes, but I should have done it more. Great answer, thank you. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to? Um, well, I'm in most of the usual places. Uh, you can find me. My website is getyourvoiceheard.co.uk. Um, I'm on Twitter as at Steve in Brighton, although I'm not hugely active on Twitter. I'm probably much more on Facebook. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. If you want to track me down there as Steve Bustin. Um, or, yeah, the usual places, just Google me and and, uh, and you will probably find me. One of the advantages of having an unusual surname uh, is that I'm fairly easy to find on a search engine. So, uh, but yeah, getyourvoice.co.uk is probably the, the best way to find me. So you you come up top with a, uh, an unusual surname. <laughs> exactly, yes. So, Steve, time's got the better of us. I know we could mm. talk for a lot, lot longer, but thank you so much for giving us your time and being with us today. It's been amazing to speak to you. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you everybody for joining us and uh, get in touch with Steve. Again, the good thing is about the recording, you can listen to it over and over again because there's lots of golden nuggets there that Steve has given us in this time. So please enjoy it, take care, stay safe and we will be back with you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded in conjunction with the Chapel FM Art Centre and East Leeds FM radio station for more information about them and all the good work that they do is www.elfm.co.uk and to know more about what linda sage is doing her website is www.lindasage.com also on all the other social medias